If you would, and turn to 1 Peter. We're going to look at two growth passages. They happen to frame out 1 and 2 Peter. They're what's technically called an inclusio. It's a bracket. It's like bookends. I want to read them both at the beginning, and then we'll get to them in detail as we go tonight. First Peter, the first one is First Peter chapter two, and verses one through three. They both have the same Greek word for grow in it, and it's the only two times in these two epistles that it's used. So you could look at First and Second Peter as, you know, growing and in between the two statements, and that's how you grow. And we're going to do a little of that tonight. So let me show you the first passage, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. It's a lot of alls. And then as are like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it, You may grow up, there's the first one, you may grow up into salvation. So salvation is what? It's regeneration, sanctification, glorification. It's not one part, or it's not regeneration and glorification. It has a middle part. Sanctification is the same thing as spiritual growth. So if you have the package, you're going to have all three parts. He says you've got to grow up into it. Now, the, the, the last line we're going to go into quite a bit. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Does anybody know where that comes from, that phrase? It's a quote from the Old Testament. Anyone remember? It is a psalm. Anyone remember more specifically than that? If you have a cross-reference, you're probably cheating by now. Yes, yeah, so taste and see. That the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 8. That's going to be crucial, and I'll show you why. That's the first text. The last one, as I told you, frames out 2 Peter, last few verses of 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter 3, 14 through 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So there's salvation in both of these growth passages. One, you're growing up into it. The other one, you're growing as you're waiting for it. So one is about the the middle of salvation and one is about the end of it. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these things, or these matters. Matters what? Jesus coming back. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable, circle that word, because he's going to use it again in a moment, twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not 
carried away with the air of the lawless people and lose your, let me see this again, lose your own stability. So people who twist the scriptures are not growing and doing the opposite. They're losing. They have no stability. They don't stand firm. The idea is to be pushed and moved around by something. But he says, don't be carried away. In other words, know the Bible well enough, know about God well enough that you're stable, that you don't get pushed around. He's going to tell you that's what's crucial because if you're being pushed around because you don't know the Bible, you're not going to grow. And it's absolutely dangerous. So he says, not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now notice, this growth statement is in contrast. In contrast to people who are being moved around and they don't know the scripture well enough and they've lost their stability. In other words, here's what Peter says, don't you be like that. Why? Here's the alternative, what it would be in contrast. But grow, there it is, see? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. <clears throat> Let's go back to that first one, if you would, in First Peter. We're going to talk about four things that ought to mark, or, or four truths about spiritual growth. Okay, I'm going to give you the first one, although it'll be a minute or two before we get there. The first one is that spiritual growth, number one, uh, is both negative and positive, and you're going to see that. These are all four of them are going to be both and statements. Growth is not either or, it's both and, and I'm going to show you what I mean. But the first both and statement about growth is that it's both negative and positive, and you're going to see that in the first two verses here in this sect. But let me, I'm going to start with verse 3. I'll be a little technical here, but then I'll show you what it means. Verse 3 says that, verses 1 says, spiritual growth is negative. There's things that can't be true of your life, things that you should not desire. And he tells you, put them away, take them off, get them out of your life. So as one said earlier tonight, spiritual growth comes because you're taking things out of your life. If there are sinful practices that you're doing in your life, there won't be growth. Verse 2 says, no, there's positive things. You have to desire the sincere milk of the, or the pure milk of the word, All right? Why is that crucial? Look at verse 3. If indeed, and technically in the Greek, it's a first-class conditional phrase that means this. It is a sure thing, right? Very, I'm assuming it's true. And therefore, most times it could be translated since or because. And let me put that in there and read it for you like that. Because you have tasted that the Lord is good. I'm assuming it's true that this salvation that you're growing up in is really yours. In other words, he would say. And if, here's what he says, and if indeed that's true, if you really have tasted that the Lord is good, right, then what will be true? Well, you will have the negative part gone and the positive part will be there, right? Now, he's going to tell you what that looks like. And, and before we do that, I'm going to show you what, why, why does he quote that verse in Psalm 34? Would you go ahead and turn back there with me? And then I'm going to show you what he does with it throughout 1 Peter and what it means to this passage. Psalm 34. <clears throat> 
Okay, here's the verse he quotes. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. All right? Now, there's some things you've got to know because he's not done using the word good in this text. He says, first thing you got to know is the Lord is good. This is a definition of God and who he is. So the first statement about goodness is this is what God is. God is good. Simple. Ready? Let's add to that. Verse 10. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack what? No good thing. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to say theology leads to, right, experience. So here's what he's saying. God is good. And if you know God, he is going to be good to you. In other words, he is going to supply things for you. He's going to provide things for you. See, so God is good, and then let's get personal. God is good to you. Okay, see how that works? Verse number 12. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? See what it says? Now, God is good. God is good to me. And I want to enjoy that goodness. I want to love life and see it. So I want to experience that goodness. So theology, God is good. He's good to me. And then I want to experience that good. But that's not all, unfortunately. For some Christians, that is all. God is good. He's good to you. And you like experiencing it. And it stops. But he's not done. Notice what he says next in verse 14. Turn away from evil and what? Underline that, because that is huge in 1 Peter. Turn away from evil, negative, and do good, positive. So here's what Psalm, why he quotes his Psalm, because he wants to get this framework in your mind. God is good. He does good things for me. I enjoy that goodness and love light. And guess what? And as a result of him doing all that in me and for me, what is, what's the response? I do good for him. See how it works? It's a package. Okay, that's why he quotes this passage. Let me show you how he works it out through the entire book of 1 Peter. Turn back there, would you? Remember the passage? God is good, right? God is good to me. I want to enjoy that goodness. I love life. See good days. And my response to that is, I do good in return for him. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, there's about 13 times he talks about goodness in 1 Peter. Seven of them, and I'm going to give you every one of them, so you can do it on your own. He talks about how important it is for them, the phrases, do good. Ready? Let's look at every, I'm going to look at all of them. And, it, and they all start after our passage. So he quotes the Psalm 34 passage about the Lord is good. And now he wants them to say this. If you've tasted God is good, right? Here's what the response should be. Growth is you doing good for God. Okay? They go together. Let me show you chapter 2 and verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your what? Your good deeds. Chapter 2 and verse 14. Or, or to governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil or to praise those who, what? Do good. 
verse 15. For this is the will of God that by, underline again, by doing good, he says. Verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good, but to the gentle, also to the unjust. Verse 20, he says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you, what? You do good. See what he's saying? So he's telling you that Christianity, salvation, the beginning of spiritual growth is God doing good to you. And the rest of the letter is spelling out what? What your response lived out in every area of life, no matter who you are, wives, servants, citizens, Christians, should be a response of doing good back. But he's not done yet. Chapter 3 and verse 6. Wives, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, what? You're a child of Sarah if you do good. See it? If you do good. Chapter 3 and verse 10. Whoever desires to love life, remember, have God be good to you and, and seek good days. See it there? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil. Hear this before? So I'm not just grasping at, hey, verse 8, and now I'm throwing the rest of the Psalm 34 in there. No, Peter throws the rest of Psalm 34 in there. He says, see, if you want to have good and experience it, then you're going to have to respond to it by negatively not doing bad, positively doing good. Verse 13, chapter 3. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Verse 16. Having a good conscience. And that's two or three times in the text. Verse 17 and verse 21, he says, for it's better to suffer for what? Doing good. Do you think you get the message yet? He's beating it into us, isn't he? Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Chapter 4 and verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as Good stewards. Chapter 4 and verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God will entrust their souls to a faithful creator, what? While doing good. And I read them all to you because I wanted to tell you, Peter wants you to get this. Salvation that is real in your life, if indeed you've tasted. See, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, then you, in response, will be good, he says. So he says good conduct, good citizens, good testimony, good slaves, good wives, good Christians, good conscience, good behavior, good witness, good steward. All of those are ways that we express goodness. Okay, And that goodness takes two forms, our first point. That goodness means there are certain things I don't do. You know why? Two, one. 1 Peter 2.1, no hypocrisy, no evil speaking, right? No malice. You know what it is? Those are things that are not good. And they happen to be, watch, relational things. And let me tell you this. If you want to quantify and measure your spiritual growth, these passages and others like them in the Bible 
Here's what it says. You and God vertically, you're growing to be more like Jesus. You know how you measure it? I'm going to tell you this. Ready? Not very often the Bible does it say how much you pray, although it's important. Your growth in relationship to God is not even measured or said much about your, in the word of God, although it is. But you know what the number one way that you know that you're growing spiritually with God is if you are right with other people. So the whole paragraph, read it for yourself, before 2, 1 through 3, 1, 22 through 24, is about having a pure heart and a pure life, pure soul, and loving others. So Paul, I mean, Peter says, spiritual growth can be measured this way. It's quantifiable. That there are certain things I don't do, and there are certain things I do. And those don't do things are primarily about relationships I had with others. Because if I have right relationships with others, I have a right relationship with God, right? And that's how I, one of the major ways that I can measure it. So the first thing is, spiritual growth is both negative and positive. And <clears throat> when I was growing up, there was a family in our church, the name's Johnson's. And they had a huge garden, way before the Garden of Eden. <laughs> And a big garden. And our garden was probably as big as a whole set of these pews. That was our part of it. And we had everything. I told you the story that one time my dad was leaning over and the big spider got him. I told you all that. But one of the things, my job was that I had to go out once a week in the summer and I had to do the greatest job that gardeners can do. What is it? Yes, I hated it. Uh, weeding. I uh, hated Weeding. But you know what? If, but I, I liked all the stuff that our garden produced. And if I wanted things to grow, there's a lot more factors than just the weeds. But the weeds were one of them, right? And you couldn't, you had to keep the weeds from growing. You had to keep the animals from eating it. So you had things you had to keep out. See, in your Christian life, growth by subtraction is part of it. So it does matter. You can't, people I want to, I don't grow, Pastor Walker. I'm not growing. But what are you looking at on the internet? You read romance novels. Let me tell you this. You won't grow. You won't. All you do is play sports and watch sports. You won't grow. You won't grow. Why? Because there has to be things in your life that have to take a second place. And listen, sometimes, like in this passage, they are negative things, but sometimes they are good things that become bad things because they replace God things, right? And so if you want to grow spiritually, think of it this way, a little catchy. If you want to grow, some things have to go. It's, it's just reality. The weeds have to be taken out, Right? So you have to think about your life. So if I'm going to say, am I really growing? I have to evaluate this. What weeds am I not pulling? So one time when I was doing the weeding and blah, 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 I was able to drive. And my dad, some weeks had passed, and my dad asked me, have you weeded? I hadn't. And I didn't want to say anything. So I thought, hey, you know, I've been out there most of the time. And the weeds had been pretty low to the ground. So if he just drove by to see what it was like, he probably wouldn't know. So I said, yeah, I have. And he said, guess what? 
I went out there, and there was a weed that was almost as tall as I was. And see, there's a lot of little weeds, but this one weed was huge. I said, Dad, are you sure that's not a tomato plant? He goes, I'm sure. And some, you know what? You can have it. You can th- all the little weeds, they don't, you know, I don't need to work at that. But then there's these huge ones, and you're not even know, you don't even know they're there. Because you know why? Because I didn't care about the weeds. I wanted the fruit, I'm not the fruit, but the things that were in the garden, but I didn't want a weed. Is that how you are spiritually? You're not growing as a dad because you don't pull the weeds. You're not growing as a wife. You're not growing, why? Because I don't want to pull the weeds. But then he says, listen to this. Not only is it negative, but it's positive. You also have to, verse two, you have to have this, see this, listen. You have to desire and ESV says, long for. See, look, I tell my kids all the time, you, you need to read your Bible, you need to pray, you need to go to church, you need to be involved in service, but you know what I cannot give them and it frustrates the tar out of me. I can't give them desire. I can try to foster it. I can try to emulate, show it to them. But here's what he says. You know where real growth takes place? Because I have a passion for God. And I want him. I want the Bible. I want to pray. See, I, I always said, people, oh, why don't you come to church? Oh, I don't know. I didn't feel good. I, didn't, I said, why don't you want to? Why does anyone make you come? Why do you have to be told to come? Why is it that you'd rather be somewhere else? See, that's what scares me more than you missing. Because people miss church. And sometimes there are days you don't read your Bible. But why is it that regularly you don't want to? See, that's what scares me. Because what I know of the Bible, it says this. If you've tasted that he's good, then you'll want to do good. You'll desire it. And how? I love the picture. Not because they were spiritual infants. But because no matter how old you get in your faith, like a baby wants milk, you want it. You ever seen babies want milk? I haven't been that far removed, although it's been a long. I'm not going to lie. Will will be 30 tomorrow. So it's been a long time since I've had a little baby. But I remember enough to know this. They want it real bad. And they'll cry and scream until they get it. When's the last time you cried and screamed in the morning to get your milk from God? See, that's where we're at. Ask yourself that. Those are the hard questions. Do I have that kind of spiritual growth? That I just can't get enough of it. Or am I, and I'm not trying to be mean, but you open the Bible up and read the Daily Bread devotional for five minutes, I'm telling you, that you'll not grow. It won't cut it. That'd be like your baby screaming for milk and you give them a teaspoonful. Who can have a teaspoonful and be okay? You can't. I can pray for a minute a day. You won't grow. You cannot microwave spiritual growth. It won't. You can't cut corners and you can't cut it short. You can't. Imagine your baby crying for milk and you say, you don't have to have it today. I'll give it to you tomorrow. Who does that to their baby? Nobody does that. Why? Because babies have to have it now. (laughs) Right? And they have to have a certain amount. And it has to be just right and warm. (laughs) But that ought to be us, right? Secondly, spiritual growth is both vertical and horizontal. It's not how only you think of God. See, here's the thing. You can raise your hand in church all you want and you can sing all the songs you want and listen to them in the car all you want 
And you can say, I read this book all you want, and I've read a bunch of those. But listen, if the vertical and the horizontal don't go together, there's a problem. There's a problem. Not because no one, you're right, no one's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. But what marks your life, what's characteristically true of you, is that the vertical and the horizontal go together. That I love God and I love others. And in this passage, both of them, it works that, that way. See, it's both. It's not one or other. Spiritual growth is not just I praise God, I sing to God, I read his word, I pray to God. None of that has to do, per se, with anybody else. I'm going to go real quickly for time's sake. That's what brings me to the third one. Is that spiritual growth in the Bible, and get this one because we don't miss it, and Alicia said it earlier. Spiritual growth is both individual and corporate. Let me tell you a truth that you probably don't know. Almost every pronoun in these two growth passages is plural, not singular. Did you know all, I looked up every time the New Testament uses the word grow in any way, shape, or form. Did you know this? There isn't one, there's hardly any time, I won't say none, but there might be one. But you know what? It almost always referred to growth taking place inside of a church body. You know why? Let me tell you this. The, the scriptures know nothing of a person growing spiritually that's not part of a community of God. So let me tell, I tell people all the time, you know what the first, you want to grow spiritually? Here's my advice to you. The first thing, be at church all the time. No, 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 no you get me wrong. If you think because I want you to hear another Sunday school lesson or one of my sermons, that, that's true. But you know what? You know what you need? You need someone who in a Sunday school or small group or discipleship group is going to tell you this, hey, by the way, how are you doing living that out? And by the way, let me tell you this. I saw you do that the other day. You shouldn't be doing that. You know why you need to grow and how you will grow? In 1 Peter 2, 3, next verse, ready? As living stones, you come to him, and you are being built up into a, listen, a spiritual house. So are you individually growing? Yes, I am a living stone. But where is that stone being put? Brick by brick, stone by stone, I'm, bidding, I'm growing up into a house. So God didn't want your spirituality and your spiritual growth to be done by yourself. And the way to measure it is not whether I'm at home by myself in my study, praying and reading my Bible alone. That is not by itself a good measurement. It's what the measurement ought to be. Do I read my Bible, pray on my own, and I'm holy on my own? And when I come to church and when I'm interacting with people, I flesh out all of those truths. That's the measurement of it, is do I take those things and live them out when people don't like me and they don't agree with me and when they upset me and disappoint me and hurt me? How do I do it then? See, that's the growth part. The growth part isn't, wow, that was a great truth I got in my study today, but when I came to church or I was at the community at the event and, and then I, you know, I got yelled and screamed, I... Now that's not, the, the growth is, do you live it out in the context of relationships with people, in your marriage, with your kids, on the way to church, when you go home tonight? That's what he says. It is both negative and positive. It is both vertical and horizontal. It is both individual and corporate. Lastly, spiritual growth 
is both internal and external. It's internal and external. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. See, ignorant people, verse 17, 16, sorry. Ignorant people who don't know the Bible. Ignorant means not knowing. They really don't know the Bible well enough. And you know what they do? They hear what Paul says. It's not easy to grasp. And by the way, super helpful verse. So if you ever read Paul's stuff and go, I'm not sure I get all that. Join Peter, who was an inspired apostle of God, who found it hard to understand everything Paul wrote. I feel pretty, that makes me feel better. Right? He says, listen, you know what they do? Instead of getting help, trying to understand it better, they twist it. And it means to pervert it. It's create errors. And you know what it does? It creates instability in their lives. So when you're not handling scripture rightly, you are not growing rightly. So obviously, if you're not in it, you're not growing. And if you're in it, but you're not handling right, you're not growing. That's what they were doing. Now watch. You say, Pastor Walker, that wouldn't be me. Really? Here's what he says. Be careful, beloved, verse 17, because you know that they do that. I'm telling you ahead of time, he says, take care. And the word means to guard a prisoner. This is, here's what he says. Be careful because you need to guard, protect yourself against this, that you're not going to be carried away with air, that you're not going to do the same thing somebody else is doing. You know why? Because you could lose your stability. So where do you grow? Inside. Stability. Stability is I'm taking the word of God, properly interpreting and properly applying it to my real life situations so that I do it. Can I pause? I got a few minutes. Can I tell you this? I'm going to shock you. Reading your Bible does not necessitate growth. Studying your Bible does not mean or guarantee that you will grow. Living your Bible does. Now, to live it, you have to read it and study it and memorize it. And all those are great disciplines. But I would guess, ask yourself this reality. When you get up in the morning, if you do so, and you read your Bible and you pray, and I do it in that order, What God has to say to me is more important than what I have to say to God, but both are important. So I read the Bible first, and that informs what I say to him, right? But let me tell you this. How many of you, when you read the Bible, don't answer out loud. How many of you have a a time when you read the Bible that at the end of it, you take five minutes or more and strategize, maybe even write it down about how you plan to do it today? You know, if you don't purposely and intentionally do that, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get frustrated with the Bible, and eventually it will stop being read and studied very much, and it'll somewhat die off, or you'll find yourself becoming inconsistent at times. And the reason is because you will think that this isn't doing anything to change my life, so why bother? Now, no one says that out loud. But if you read the Bible all the time, and you really don't find yourself changing or growing much— Guess what your mind's going to conclude? It isn't that great. I've heard it a million times. And the reason isn't because there's anything wrong with the Bible. It's because you're not purposely trying to do it in your life. So James says, as we talked a few weeks ago, don't be a hearer only, but a doer. 
So you need to have an action step every time you read the Bible and say, hey, today I'm going to try to do this. And for me, that's why years ago I went to studying the same passage for at least one week at a time because I'm dense enough and thick enough that I need a whole week to actually do it. I can't do, I can't do 365 new truths a year. I can't. I've narrowed it down to a minimum of 50 and maybe less. And I'll be honest with you, and I still don't do all those. I don't. I try. I'm working at it with God's grace. I am. But I don't count something as really life transformationing, transformation in my life until I've done it. And let me tell you what the Bible says. If you don't do it and you twist it and you don't turn and interpret it right and live it out, you will find the instability inside of you. But then he says, it's also external. Watch verse 18. But in contrast to that, grow. Grow where? Grow in the knowledge. Yes. Read your Bible. Study it. Don't improperly interpret Scripture. But it says grow in what? Just the knowledge? No, because reading the Bible and knowing the Bible does not equate to spiritual maturity. We think that in America. We go to conferences, read the Bible, buy books by the truckloads, and I'm talking to myself. But can I tell you this? You can know a boatload and not even be spiritual. Because it isn't about just knowing. It's about what? Knowing and? And that's what grace is. Grace is not God being real lenient and not being legalistic. By the way, reread the New Testament, and this book included, and go see all the times Peter and other writers talk about grace and find out what it really means. Okay, go find out that grace is the humble ability to do what God says vertically and horizontally in how you live it out. Here's what Peter says. You need to grow in both of them. Grace and knowledge. Both. Because if you want to grow spiritually, it is not just you and God praying on your knees, opening your Bible. Don't get me wrong. Great things. You can't grow without them, but they are not enough by themselves unless you do it with his help, especially in relationship to other people. The word of God is key in all of 1 Peter. But he says in contrast, you grow, by the way, plural pronoun, you grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory both now and He says, listen, both now, the way you live, and to the day of eternity. Both, he says. See that? We gotta keep these things together. This is what spiritual growth is. Negative and positive, right? Objective, subjective, corporate, individual, he says. And also, lastly, internal, external. Both, all of those boths have to be kept together if we're gonna grow spiritually in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, help us. Maybe tonight there are some who just need to, the best thing they could do is go home and pull some weeds. Maybe tonight it's, they totally neglected with the word and prayer. They need to get back there with the intention of doing it. Living it out in our lives. Maybe it's that they've, forsaken the house of God 
and they don't have anybody in their life speaking truth to them, saying the things that they don't want to hear, that they don't want to listen. They don't have anybody who will tell them what they really need to hear. Father, we are not, we are not the best person to measure our own spiritual growth. We are not. It should be someone like our spouse or our children or a trusted friend who is willing to wound us so that we can grow. Father, I pray you'll help us to realize it's not just the deeds that we do on the outside, it's the desires that we have on the inside. Both are necessary for growth. Help us to keep both and together that we might really grow individually and as a church together as you want us to. Despite all of our failures, forgive us. Despite all of our limitations, forgive us. Despise all the things, despite all the things we say and we don't at times do, which marks us all, unfortunately. God, help us, in spite of those things, to grow to be more like Jesus. For it's in his matchless name we pray. Amen.